Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome back to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and today I am very excited to have as my guest, Dr. Taryn Marie Stasekel. Taryn Marie, welcome to my program. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I am so excited about talking to you on this area that you are such an expert in. Before we jump into it, let's um, give the audience an understanding of who you are because it's so impressive what you've accomplished and what you are creating in the world today. Dr. Taryn Marie is a foremost international expert on resilience in both leadership and life. She's the former head of executive leadership development at Nike and of global leadership development at Cigna. And more recently, she has founded Resilience Leadership, where she serves as the chief resilience officer, leveraging over a decade of research on resilience that gave birth to the empirically based framework that she uses. It's called the five practices, and I love this, of particularly resilient people. She teaches this framework in her executive coaching and workshops that she conducts and in her keynote speeches. And Dr. Taryn Marie is the author of an upcoming book, Flourish or Fold, The Five Practices of Particularly Resilient People. And she's featured in the forthcoming documentary, Breaking Free. And both of these are expected to be released in 2021. She's also one of the Marshall Goldsmith Top 100 Coaches. So, Dr. Taryn Marie, this is uh, such a great opportunity for people to gain a better understanding of this really important topic, especially during the times we're living in right now in 2020. Tell us more about your journey to the work that you do today. What events in your life affected your decision to focus on resilience? Yeah, you know, like so many things, uh, when I look when I look back on my life, I didn't see how those events were connected. So mm-hmm. in the moment, it just it felt like disparate experiences. But now, looking back, I can see how those dots of experience, if you will, line up and create a a straight line straight-ish line, you know, trajectory to where I am today, but I don't think I realized it at the time. And I'll speak to what some of those events are or have been. And, you know, in addition to that, one of the things about resilience is that I feel like this is a topic oftentimes that chooses us. You know, we don't necessarily choose it Mm -hmm. uh, by virtue of our experiences in life, the challenges on our path, uh, the maybe the the heart or the mindset that we have for uh, personal growth and development. You know, these are sort of things that are not for the faint of heart or the weak of Mm -hmm. spirit. And so I think for me, you know, I very much feel like resilience chose me. I didn't choose resilience. And I can speak more to that as well. Yes. Well, let's kind of um, look at how you define it. Because for you, and I think in general, it's much more than just bouncing back, which is what many of us think of resilience. So let's maybe start with the definition, your definition of that. Yeah, it's a, it's a great idea. Whenever I speak to people about resilience, one of the first things that I do is I ask, you know, my audience or the people that I'm working with to tell me, you know, what do you think 
resiliences, you know, uh, what words or phrases do you associate with resilience? Uh, maybe what sort of iconic figures, uh, or maybe even someone we don't know, you know, people will say, you know, my grandma, you know, whenever I think of resilience, I think of my grandmother, right? And, um, and that's really helpful in terms of sort of taking a temperature on, on what the ethos of resilience is at that moment. And almost always, people will say, bounce back. Actually, I'm not sure that I've ever worked with a group of people where someone hasn't said bounce back. Hmm. So, you know, there's, there's what resilience is, and then there's what resilience is not, right? So first I'll tell you what resilience is, and then I'll tell you what resilience is not. Okay. Right? Sounds so what good. Resilience, yes. Um, so resilience, uh, the definition that has emerged for me based on over a decade of study is very simple. Resilience is allowing ourselves to effectively address a challenge in a way that through that process, we are enhanced by that experience and not diminished by it. Oh, I love that. I've never heard it explained in quite that way before. Would you repeat that? Because I think that's one that people may want to take notes <laughs> to capture it. I'm honored if anyone wants to write this down. And, you know, we could also put it in the show notes potentially as well. But uh, the definition of resilience is allowing ourselves, right? So allowing is important here, right? Because so often when we face challenge, we say, I don't have time for this. You know, those feelings are too uncomfortable to feel. You know, I don't want to see that my partner isn't the right partner for me right now. You know, I don't, I don't want to deal with, you know, this colleague uh, that's, you know, sort of blocking my performance or um, Im impacting uh, my, uh, my engagement at work in some way. So the first part of the definition is allowing ourselves, mm -hmm. right? Allowing ourselves the space, the time, the capacity, the bandwidth that's required to effectively address a challenge, right? Now, a challenge can be something that we would, um, you know, code or label as negative. You know, it could be the loss of a job. It could be uh, a, a health diagnosis uh, that we weren't expecting that's troubling. Um, but a challenge, you know, could also be things that we think of, you know, subjectively as being positive, right? This could be an expanded role, a promotion at work, you know, the birth of a new baby, a cross-country move, right? Uh, you know, a cross-country move could also be negative, right, depending on how we think about it. So, so much of it is in part how we think about it, but effectively addressing that challenge. And I intentionally say effectively addressing a challenge because so often in the, in the English language we use words like overcome challenge, right? Like we just, mm -hmm. we, we just throw that around. And when I really think about what it means to overcome a challenge, that is not representative of my experience. And that's not representative of the, of the vast majority, um, if not nearly everyone that I've interviewed about resilience. Because I think very few of us, when we look on a challenge, feel like we, you know, we emerged victorious and we overcame it. You know, if, if anything, we sort of like, you know, crawled, limped, cried, you know, army, you know, crawled, all those things, you know, to get, to get through it. And it, it, facing challenge doesn't often feel victorious. And so the first part is allowing ourselves to face challenge. The second part is to effectively address the challenge. And the third part is to come through that experience in a way that we feel enhanced by it, you know, and, and this is part of the practices and not diminished. I love that part. Actually, I love all three. Because uh, one of the words that was coming to me, mind, actually two words was deal with, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that sort of in that same thing is overcome. It's, it's got this negative connotation. What you're bringing out, I think, is so important is the, mm -hmm. our choice of words mm -hmm. can cause us to frame a situation in mm -hmm. a particular way. Mm -hmm. That then, I won't say it dictates, but it certainly can influence how we respond and just what our attitude is. Mm -hmm. So um, 
so that is um, a fascinating definition. And I like that word addresses too, Mm -hmm. because it's being, to me, it's being proactive. It's not Mm -hmm. trying to react. So I love the verbs that you've Mm -hmm. chosen as part of that. So tell us what it's not, or is there something else you want to say about what it is? Well, you know, what I wanted to say was, you know, deal with, to your point, is very reactive. Mm -hmm. You know, something has shown up in my path. I don't like it. I don't love it. I'm not happy about it. And now I got to go deal with it, right? You know, versus looking at it as an opportunity for growth Mm -hmm. and formation. And so... You know, I'll, I'll add on a, a spiritual piece here and not everyone is spiritual or uh, resilient or, or um, religious. And so uh, if this doesn't resonate, you know, with you or anyone listening, you can fast forward, you know, through this part. But in so many spiritual and religious traditions, there is a belief that we came into this world and into this life and were embodied, quote unquote, like took up a body, you know, with a soul in order to learn lessons for our growth and for our maturation. And so when we think about the spiritual component that can be connected to resilience, it's this idea of when we show up for those challenges, when we effectively address what's been put in our path and we don't think of it as, you know, dealing with it or ignoring it or or numbing it or um, abandoning ourselves in that moment, then what we have is an opportunity not only for our own growth in this life, but if you also think about it from a spiritual perspective, it's the opportunity to grow in our journey as as a being. Mm-hmm. Well, I really like that. And it reminds me of a, a great question that um, Steve Chandler, one of my favorite authors, asked. And that is, no matter what you encounter, to say, what is the gift in this? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. getting at that very uh, um, element you're talking about. And yeah, I think in a, in a you know, spiritual way, the fact that we have this aspect of ourselves that that awareness that we have the opportunity to grow in everything that we encounter is um, very significant. What I love about your work is it's based on, you know, empirical evidence. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into that, but I'm still curious to know the not part. Sure, Um, absolutely. touched on that, but I'd like you to be a little more overt about it. Yeah, thank you for bringing us back to that and not allowing us to move on because that's an important that's an important piece. And we could talk so much about language. You know, Jay-Z said, I'm not prone to quoting Jay-Z. I mean, I really like Jay-Z, but, you know, I'm not prone to quoting him in podcasts. But he says, you know, we speak things into existence. And so my belief is that language is powerful. Language is power and language is powerful because the words that I use not only form my reality and my experience, but it also communicates to you how you can think about my reality and my experience and your reality and your experience, right? And then there's this, you know, iter- iterative or exponential effect to that. And so I, I think very much about the language we use and very much about the language that we use with resilience. And a number of the experiential moments that I use with leaders is actually around just changing our language, just changing how we talk about our lives and how we talk about our work uh, can fundamentally change the way we feel about ourselves mm-hmm. and, and about our experience. And so in that same vein of thinking about the importance of, of language, you know, so often we use this phrase, uh, bounce back. And you know, a lot of people say, oh, resilience is so much more than bouncing back. And what I like to say is, no, resilience isn't more than bouncing back. Resilience isn't bouncing back, right? Like we have um, had the wrong idea about resilience for a really long time because, uh, you know, when we saw, you know, for some of us that were alive and watching television in the 90s, you know, there were those like rubber 
made commercials where the car would like drive into the, this is the car, by the way, the car would drive into the garage and would like hit the Rubbermaid trash can. It was like, whoops, and you know, put it in reverse and it was like dented, but then it boop, like pops back out. Mm-hmm. That's my best rendition of a 1990s Rubbermaid commercial, by the way, you're welcome. <laughs> and so, you know, we started thinking about resilience as Rubbermaid and they're just, they're just not synonymous. And so many people have come to me in my travels and my workshops and my lectures, keynotes, coaching, and they've said, you know, Taryn, I guess I'm, I guess I'm just not resilient because I haven't gone back to the way that I was before I experienced that challenge or that change or that complexity. And so, you know, believing that we're going to bounce back like a piece of Tupperware uh, is not only faulty, it's actually detrimental. Because when we think that we're supposed to go back in order to be resilient, that mindset starts to tell us we're not resilient when we truly are. Because resilience isn't about bouncing back. Resilience is about bouncing forward, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's taking, it's effectively addressing that challenge, allowing ourselves to be enhanced, not diminished, going back to the definition. And enhancement means we're not the same person. Right. Were when we walked into that challenge, you know, and you know, my background's in, in neuropsychology. And so, you know, even just at a, a neural level, and I promise I won't get, you know, too like, you know, brain doctor technical on you. Right. But, you know, we're talking so much about neurons and neuroplasticity and neuroplasticity for those of you that don't know is the is the way that our brain's neural network shifts in terms of its connections, it generates new neurons, it creates new groupings of neurons. Our brain is always shifting and changing in order to account for and to accommodate the environment that we're in, what we've learned. And so even just us participating in this podcast, and even for those of you that are listeners listening to this podcast, you are being changed by this experience, maybe in some, you know, really basic and fundamental ways, and perhaps in some really high level and and notable ways. But regardless, every experience that we have changes us. And so the idea that we would face a significant challenge, and in order to be resilient, we'd go back to our prior state, when you really think about that, uh, just, you know, it, 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 it's like, why did I ever believe that, right? So, Oh, I love that distinction. That's such an important difference. And it explains why bouncing back is totally the wrong phrase to use for this. Oh, very thought-provoking. This is so fascinating. Thank you. And, and what that also means for us as humans across our lifespan, and what that also means for this moment that we're in with the global pandemic and with really facing uh, in a very conscious way the injustice that exists within the social fabric of our society, uh, what, what that means for us is that if we don't bounce back, if we don't go back, right, then there's this moment where in the bouncing forward, in the going forward in an enhanced way, we also have a very important moment, and I'll use moment broadly, to look at what's changed and to look at what we've lost and to look at, you know, what feels taken or what we had to give away or what's not coming back or what's not coming back right now and grieve the loss of things, you know, that we're not going back for, or we're not going back for in the, in the near future. And that's also a really important component of resilience, not just charging forward, but also really marking what we're leaving behind. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And what's the importance of doing that? Why, why do you not want to skip that step? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think any person who has experienced a grief or a loss, which is probably all of us as humans, you know, we realize that when we don't attend to loss, when we don't attend to grief, and when we don't spend the time in, in mourning and appreciating what's changed, uh, it, it, it comes back, you know? Uh, 
it it keeps showing up. You know, uh, Pema Chodron uh, is a is a female Buddhist monk, one of the first. She's written many beautiful books. Um, one entitled "The Places That Scare You," and a beautiful quote that she shares is that nothing ever goes away until it teaches us what we need to know. And so in order to really move forward with a clear conscience and to make space for the forward, the enhancement, it's also important that we make space and grieve and and make sense of the things that we're leaving behind. Because if we don't, those things will continue to stay with us until they teach us what we need to know. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's get... Um concrete here and i'd love to have you share an example of someone you've worked with or a group you've worked with where you help them go through this process of leaving behind grieving if need be or just reframing how they think about resilience and how they talk about things the language you were talking about what was it like before and then what was it like after their work with you, what made mm-hmm. the difference? Yeah, you know, from a from a team standpoint, uh, what's coming up for me is an executive team that I worked with recently uh, in a Fortune 100 company, and they had this incredible strategy that they started out with in 2020, and they'd cascaded it broadly through the organization, and everyone was really conversant in the strategy and in the language, and they'd been very adept at really engaging, you know, the full sort of complement of the organization and and what they were going to achieve this year and what everyone's role was going to be. And, uh, you know, then sort of within days of recognizing that we were in a, a global pandemic, right, if we sort of go back and think about this, we were talking about coronavirus as being a health crisis for a long time until uh, I think it was, you know, mid-March where sort of in rapid succession, it was not a global health crisis. It was a global pandemic. And oh, by the way, large, you know, cities and numbers of people in the United States were all of a sudden being asked to shelter in place, to quarantine, schools were closing, non-essential businesses shuttered, right? So it was this huge like whiplash that we experienced. And yeah. so, you know, as a, as a result of that, so many of us, so many businesses, uh, so many strategies, so many visions for what we, what we were going to, to deliver this year personally and professionally have been dramatically altered. And so within the context of this organization, I was working with this executive team to recast their vision and their strategy in the context of what we now know about the way that the world is going to work, will work in the foreseeable future uh, with coronavirus. And there was a lot of energy around the new vision and the new strategy. Um, And I really thought to myself as I was facilitating this conversation, I thought, you know, I don't want to detract from the energy and the momentum that we have now going forward to bounce forward but knowing what I know about also recognizing and marking this moment of what we were leaving behind, right? This exciting initial strategy, this exciting initial vision, this, um, you know, sort of beautiful idea about the products and services that they were going to offer to the world and how that was going to impact people's lives. And so once we cast the new vision and celebrated what that was going to look like, we also went back And I had each of them think about what aspects of, you know, themselves, what aspects of their vision for their team, and what aspects of what they had thought would be for the organization, they were also leaving behind, right? That they were in a way, and we were able to make it feel balanced, right? So it was like, what are we trading? You know, what are we leaving behind? in service of now bouncing forward into this new future, right? And that was a really powerful exercise for them because had we not had conversations about what they'd lost or what they'd left behind, it might've gone underground and surfaced in other ways later that may not, you know, have been 
productive. And this way, the team had an opportunity to, you know, in a professional way, grieve the loss of what they had imagined and, and truly our sense of expectation and control that has been so uh, profoundly challenged by this experience. I think that's critical. The word that comes to mind is honor. You know, they had to honor that previous uh, vision and enthusiasm that they had around where they had wanted to go that you talked about whiplash and that's part of what, you know, came to mind just as all of us experienced in March. It, it was just unbelievable. The shift, the sudden shift people needed to make. I, I really like what you're bringing up because I think on an individual level, uh, each of us needs to think about different experiences that we've had that maybe we haven't fully addressed from the past that could be holding us back or interfering with our ability to fully engage mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. going forward. <clears throat> so I think that that's a, a really critical step. I think a lot of times as humans and particularly in this country, you know, this buckle up and, you know, um, toughen up and, and just, you know, grit your way through this and not get hung up. It's almost seen sometimes as a sign of weakness to look back mm -hmm. and do that kind of work. But what you're saying is it's really essential to moving forward and really making progress. It's essential. It's, it's necessary. And, you know, what I would add on to that, Meredith, is, uh, you know, I'll, I'll speak to culture and sort of society in the U.S., right? Because I grew up, mm -hmm. I grew up here and I, I know, and I know it well. And my perspective is that here in the U.S., we are very uncomfortable with allowing people to be uncomfortable. You know, we, we want people to put a smile on their face. Mm -hmm. We want people to be okay, you know. And I think many times we cheat ourselves and we rob others of the opportunity to feel bad, you know. Uh, and the feeling bad and the mourning and the loss has purpose. It has meaning. And so often we bifurcate our emotions and we say it's good to be happy and joyful and inspired and it's bad to be fearful and sad and frustrated and angry. No, those emotions don't come with good and bad labels. You know, we're the ones that do that to ourselves and say, I'm going to listen to this, but I'm not going to listen to that. You can feel this way, but not that way. You know, I've worked with so many uh, people as leaders who, when they finally get to a place of feeling their emotions, almost instantaneously, they then judge that emotion and feel worse about it. Like, oh no, I'm angry. I, I can't be angry. You know, mm -hmm. well now I'm getting frustrated, you know, well, now, oh, I'm so sad. I can't feel sad, you know? And so it's like, we feel the emotion and then we judge ourselves for having a feeling, right? And so what I wanna say here is that it's really important as humans, pandemic or not, you know, in order to be resilient, that we allow ourselves, and this is, uh, you know, sort of within the third practice of particularly resilient people, this idea of connection, it's about internal connection to ourselves, you know, trusting our gut, not abandoning ourselves, listening to that still small voice within, recognizing and acknowledging our emotions and what they are, not judging them, allowing us to have our experience. And when we don't allow ourselves to have our experience, whatever that means, we've cheated ourselves or we've robbed others or we've stolen from our children because we tell them, don't cry, put a smile on your face, here's a cookie, you know, especially for little boys. I won't go down that path, but I could. And there's just a tremendous opportunity for us in the U.S. to say, you know what, it's okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's, 
it's really powerful. There's so, there's so many ways we could go in talking about these, this topic. I would love, though, for you to be able to at least give um, a, an upper-level view of those five core practices, because I think they're really important. And I know we don't have time today to go into all of them, but let's talk about what those five are, and maybe we can pick one that is relevant to everything else we've discussed so far. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you just a high-level overview of what those are, and then we can decide you know, where we want to press in and spend a little bit more time. So what I would just say uh, to tee things up for our listeners is that uh, you mentioned the research-based empirical framework. So um, this all started because I couldn't understand resilience. And I, and I wanted to understand the concept. And so I, I grew up in a family home, you know, quick overview where on one side of the living room, there was, you know, the volumes of the Encyclopedia Botanica. And then on the other side, there was a Merriam-Webster's dictionary that was like, you know, I don't know, like a foot thick. It was like anything you wanted to know, you either went to the encyclopedias or you went to the dictionary, right? And so when I, when I started to think about this concept of resilience and thought like, what is that? I'm hearing people talk about it. I'm hearing people use this word uh, both as a noun and a, and a verb, you know, um, and at times as an adjective, you know, wh what does it mean? And so I looked it up and the definition wasn't clear to me. It was very circular, you know, to be resilient meant to demonstrate resilience, right? And resilience meant to be resilient. And I thought, well, I can't figure out what this is. And so in my travels initially as a fellow in neuropsychology, uh, I wanted to understand what were the factors that enhanced people's re rehabilitation trajectory after a traumatic brain injury. And so what we found were things like having access to reliable transportation statistically was the difference between living, you know, independently versus living uh, in a, with assisted care after a neurological injury. So you have a, you're in a, a car accident, you have a brain injury, um, and if you have access to reliable transportation, if you have those resources, your healing trajectory and the skills and capabilities that are going to return to you are going to be better than someone that doesn't have mm. reliable mm. transportation or access to a vehicle. And so when I finished my fellowship, I started thinking, okay, we're not all going to have neurological injuries and thank goodness for that, but we all are going to face challenge. And so in our travels as humans, when we face challenge, what's our version of reliable transportation, right? What's the, what are the, the levers we can pull, the behaviors we can demonstrate, the resources we can call on in that moment of challenge that's going to allow us to create a better, more resilient outcome? And so what I did is I started talking to people and asking what felt like a simple question and became a powerful question, which is to think about a time you've effectively addressed challenge. Again, not overcome, but effectively addressed. And what did you do? What did you do in that moment to, to show up to effectively address that challenge? And now based on interviewing hundreds of people and collecting thousands of pieces of data, what that's given rise to is the five practices of particularly resilient people. So based on that qualitative data that I collected. And so what people told me, you know, are the five practices of particularly resilient people, the five things we can do in any challenge, any change, any complexity to enhance our outcome and to be more resilient. So what are those things? So the first one is vulnerability and vulnerability is defined as allowing our inside self, our inside experience, thoughts, feelings, emotions, to match to the greatest extent the outside version of ourselves that we show to the world, right? And, and on some, some level, we're always sort of running two operating systems in a way. Like it's never, I don't think, gonna be completely congruent, right? Completely like what's happening in here is exactly what's happening out here. But the closer we can get those two operating systems, it makes us more resilient for two reasons. One, we expend less energy 
you know, trying to run this, you know, kind of mm-hmm. OS, if you will, resilience operating system. And two, when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, when we show up in an authentic way about what's really going on for us, then we're able to be seeded the resources, the information, the knowledge, the people that we need in those moments of challenge, change, and complexity mm-hmm. uh, to effectively address you know, those moments in our lives. So that's vulnerability at a really high level. The second practice of particularly resilient people is productive perseverance. And what productive perseverance means is it's the intelligent pursuit of a goal. And it's both an art and a science. It's uh, recognizing, right, uh, when we're on a difficult path and making the choice, sometimes daily, sometimes hourly, sometimes by the second to stay on that path because it's tough, right? Mm -hmm. And it's also about recognizing that the path that we're on perhaps now has diminishing returns or isn't going to be in the way that we envisioned and being willing to pivot and shift in a new direction. So knowing when to maintain the mission and when to pivot in a new direction is the you know, intelligent pursuit of a goal is, is productive perseverance. Uh, then there's connection, which we spoke about earlier, uh, connecting deeply to ourselves, and then also being able to connect with other people you know, our colleagues, our friends, our neighbors, our communities outside of ourselves and to manage what those connections mean, right? Because oftentimes people want us to be in a way or to do things or to show up in a way that maybe isn't consistent with what our internal compass, what our North Star is telling us and then navigating that, you know, internal and external connection Mm -hmm. dynamic. The fourth practice of particularly resilient people is gradiosity. And gradiosity accounts for, you know, this concept that people were sharing with me that I thought, I don't know if there, I don't think there's a word for that. We got to make a word up, you know, which is fun. And so gratiosity is the combination of both gratitude and generosity. Mm-hmm. And the gratitude part is being able to look on a challenge, even if we wouldn't have chosen it, even if we didn't want it. And I have many of these in my life and, and as we do, as we all do and say, while I wouldn't have chosen that, And I may not wish that upon my worst enemy. (laughs) I can see the good in that, right? That came out of that. I can, I can appreciate and feel grateful, even though I didn't want that experience for how it changed and impacted me in, in positive and meaningful ways. And then the generosity part of that piece is that, you know, we don't learn always by direct experience. You know, and so the ability for us to share our stories, share our resilient stories of what we've faced and those lessons allows others to learn vicariously through our experience when we share generously. And the fifth and final practice is the practice of possibility. So, you know, if you were to put these practices on a continuum, you know, vulnerability is really kind of the foundational element you know it shows up in so many of the other practices and possibility in a way is sort of the you know the fifth element of resilience right or the sort of actualization of resilience because what this is is the ability to in these moments of challenge to navigate the landscape in a way where we don't get mired in perfection and we instead focus on progress And in these moments of challenge or even crisis, we're able to effectively navigate this very sort of tricky tightrope of life, which is to both acknowledge the danger that we feel in that moment, right? That it feels scary. Mm -hmm. And also to acknowledge the opportunity that simultaneously exists and not to deprioritize or over-prioritize one or the other. Don't ignore the fear, you know? but also don't ignore the fact that there's opportunity. Well, I love the fact that you call these practices because that tells me we never totally master it. (laughs) You know, it's, it's a continuous practice and it's hit me that as we've described this and, and looking also at what time we have left, rather than going deeper into one, I would ask what are some practical ideas of things people could do to start practicing these 
on an ongoing basis, what are some little things they might think of to do during the day that maybe they're not doing now that would help them make these more comfortable practices for them? Yeah, absolutely. So here's, here's some, we'll call them resilience quick wins or, you know, so many people are talking about like hacking things. I don't love the, the cacophony of the word hack, but we'll call it resilience quick wins. Uh, I like so, that. That's good. <laughs> That's a good phrase. I like it too. I like it too. So um, let's see, I'll give you, I'll give you three resilience quick wins. Perfect. So the first one is, and they're simple. The first one is assume positive intent, period. Somebody cuts you off at the grocery store because none of us can figure out how to get in line for the checkout counters anymore because you got to wait in the aisle. <laughs> mm-hmm. They didn't do that to you personally, probably, you know. Um, and, and we never know anyone's story. We never know what's going on behind the scenes. You know, I've been in so many vehicles with people, even pre-pandemic where, you know, or accidentally myself, like cut somebody off, like, sorry, I didn't see you. You were in my blind spot. And then they like buzz past me and, you know, flip me the bird. And I'm like, yo, like, that's a really, you know, strong response to, you know, just, uh, you know, sort of oversight on my part. And so I think we can save ourselves a lot of agita um, and, a, and a lot of emotion at, um, by just, you know, assuming positive intent, whether we know the person, whether we don't, you know, so often I'll, I'll reach out to people and I'll say, oh, you know, I haven't received your, your email. You know, I thought that we agreed I was going to get this thing yesterday. I haven't received it uh, Perhaps if you, you know, if you did send it, could you resend it or I can look in my spam mailbox, you know, oftentimes people come back and say, you know, I'm sorry, I'm behind, you know, as humans, we're sort of terrible at knowing how long things take and how much time we have to contribute to them. Mm-hmm. Continual area of development for me, but just assuming that people are doing the very best that they can because nine and a half times out of 10, they are. You know, so assume positive intent is the first one. Great. The second, the second one is to find joy in the journey. You know, and in fact, if you look at the word journey, haha, I love language. There is the word joy. <laughs> There's even the word enjoy in journey. So you can ha- find joy or you can enjoy. You know, have fun. Life is too short to not have a good time and finding fun, finding play, finding pleasure in our daily lives. You know, we don't know when it's all going to change. This is a brilliant example of how things, you know, literally can feel like they can change overnight as they can with our, with our health, with our livelihood, with our relationships. And so just enjoying each moment to the extent that we can, um, it's not something that we do. And I think there's tremendous opportunity for us to find even just a kernel of joy, you know, in the journey. Um, And then the third, you know, the third, uh, we'll call it, you know, quick win for resilience. Um, And this is similar to, to what you were sharing um, about finding the, you know, finding the gift, right. And what's, and what's happening. Uh, this is not my own, but I've I've heard it and I've heard it repeated from multiple sources, and I think it's tremendously helpful. Is asking the question, you know, rather like rather than like why is this happening to me, which going back to that like reactive language, is to say why is this happening for me, mm-hmm. and that expands the aperture of our mental dialogue and the conversation that we're having with ourselves because rather than feeling victimized by a thing we start to think about how am I being grown and changed and up-leveled by a thing. Those are all excellent. And um, for those of us like me that tend to be too serious, number two is really great to enjoy because we can just feel like, oh, I have time for that right now. (laughs) I'm really focused on what I need to do. Guilty as charged. Same. to, To 
to really enjoy whatever it is you're doing at the moment because you're choosing to do that. And, you know, to me, this kind of brings us full circle to this whole thing of resilience and your definition and those careful word choices that you made that, to me, help empower us around this so that we do feel like we are not a victim of something that's happening to us. I love that distinction between to us and for us. And it's something mm -hmm. I've been thinking about more and more uh, recently, because I think that it, it changes really what, what you feel in your body. Mm -hmm. When you look yeah. at this particular situation, instead of feeling resentful, angry, that whole victim mindset to embrace it as there's something in here for me that I just haven't discovered yet. And so what might that be? Because tying back to something you said earlier, when we don't resolve or address certain things, they keep popping up because we haven't learned what we're supposed to learn from them yet. Yeah. Like how many of us have dated the same partner, you know, or, you know, engaged in the same friendships or, you know, buy the same cardigan every time we go shopping, right? Like we have these sort of like pre-programmed go-to things that until we acknowledge them, we just, you know, keep repeating the pattern. Carl Jung said, until you make the unconscious or the subconscious conscious, you'll keep repeating this pattern and you'll call it fate. Oh, that's excellent. Well, Taryn Marie, we could go on. I know this is just so so rich everything that you've brought and i love the fact that you've made it so accessible because sometimes research can feel dry and it's like where's the nuggets you know where are the practical applications and these five practices you've made them so concrete and real and usable so thank you for the gift that you have given us today and the work that you're doing to help organizations at the highest levels and trickling on down to really see the power that's available to us when we truly understand what resilience is. So tell us how people can connect with you, how they can learn more about your work. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of exciting things are happening right now. Uh, you know, certainly going to my website, which will be in the, the show notes, www.resilience with a C. Uh, dash leadership.com. Uh, we have all kinds of free resources there, free uh, podcast recordings, articles, videos that we've done, um, which, you know, can be a great place to start. Uh, I also have a growing uh, Instagram and, and Facebook business uh, page with followers there. So that's, you know, sort of your daily dose of resilience or resilient inspiration. If you want to follow me there on Instagram, I'm Dr. Taryn Marie and on Facebook, Dr. Taryn Marie Stasekel. And um, we also have a really exciting offering emerging and I'm excited to share it with you and all of your listeners today because there's also a, a free gift inside. So, um, We'll be sharing the link uh, for our course that we're rolling out, uh, Flourish or Fold, the Five Practices of Particularly uh, Resilient People. And for anyone who pre-registers, who clicks on that link, it'll be out in September, uh, you'll get 10% off the course when it comes out, um, which I think is like almost $100 off. So it's a... Uh, it's a beautiful gift, I hope, uh, for you, Meredith, and for your listeners, for all of your loyal uh, supporters and fans. And I'll just say one more thing about that briefly. You know, I was so excited to roll out this course because I've been working for a long time in corporations, right? As you mentioned right, in my right. bio at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so working with high potential leaders who are already getting a lot of resources and a lot of support. And I loved that work and I love those leaders. And I also wanted a way to sort of democratize resilience or bring resilience, you know, to a broader audience to make it more accessible to people who aren't tapped on the shoulder as the chosen few, or maybe aren't working for a corporation that can afford, you know, consulting right now. So this is my way of, of bringing forth 
this work so that more of us can engage in the, you know, in the healing and the uplifting in the um, self growth elements of resilience. So I'm so excited. That link will be in the show notes. And Meredith, I just want to highlight you. Oh, thank you. It's also about you. Um, We just published a brand new book, so I don't have that one in hard copy yet, but I've so loved Strong for Performance. And speaking of digestible, meaningful, accessible, I just love this book and what you've done in terms of um, really allowing people to access, you know, what are the key elements, right, that help create, you know, a culture of learning and development that's so squishy some so many times. And I, I love what you've done here in terms of making this accessible for people. So thank oh, you. thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, it's, um, it t- you know, it's sort of like your work with resilience. This is our work, you know, compiling what we've done over the last 30 years to help people learn some things from our experience and um, work with so many folks over time. Taryn Marie, you are such a gift to the world. Thank you for showing up in such a, a positive, uh, your passion just comes through in what you say, and I love your topic, and I love the impact you're having. So thank you for being my guest today. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful that you chose me and that Resilience chose me. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.